Hello everybody, welcome to the Wednesday 100 Pounder meeting. Today is the 22nd of February 2023. I'm delighted to welcome Michelle B as our speaker today. Michelle comes from a place in Wales called Aberaeron, but she now lives in Norfolk. She joined OA in January 2021, so has been in for two years and is here today to tell her story. Michelle, over to you. Oh, thank you, Harriet. And thank you everybody for inviting me to share this very special meeting and it is special to me because this was my first ever OA meeting in these rooms with a lot of you that are here today so um, my work pattern has changed I've not been able to attend as often as I would have you know done previously but it's so lovely to be back and to see so many of you here again and still looking so well and healthy so thank you for inviting me back and I need to qualify that, um, that I, I do belong in these rooms I am a hundred pounder myself but my heaviest I was 21 stone three um, and now I'm a normal body size and shape so uh, just to clarify my name is Michelle I'm a compulsive overeater gratefully recovered just for today good to see you all um, okay, so uh, I think uh, for me, I'd like to go through my experience, strength and hope with you um, through the steps. So I'd like to take you through uh, my journey using the steps, which may help some of the newcomers that are coming in to give an idea of, of how I got through my steps and how I remain abstinent today. Thank you, God, by no, no will of my own, I can assure you. Um, the higher power that's with me throughout and my higher power I call God so I will probably refer to God throughout this but apologies if, it, if it's not the same higher power as you and um, that's what I call my higher power okay so I've got a few notes because I'm, I'm old I'm 57 next month and I forget everything so <laughs> apologies if your papers turning that's the reason why and also I have to say that um, I don't enjoy sharing I particularly don't enjoy sharing in a big meeting. Um, it's, it's really the opposite of all, what I want to do. I want to go and run away and hide behind the sofa and listen to everybody else. However, you know, we, we only get well by, by doing service and I'm very grateful to be given the opportunity. So step one invited me to look at my past, to look at what brought me into those rooms, to look at what had caused or why I was a compulsive overeater, shall we say, and how my life was unmanageable. And when I came in, I really, really uh, thought my life wasn't unmanageable. It was fine, thank you very much. Just need to lose a few pounds. You know, the insanity of the disease. And again, one reason I'm particularly grateful to this meeting is I found my beautiful sponsor here. She's still my sponsor today after two years. And, um, and I found her in these rooms. Um, and uh, when I met up with her for the first time, she, I said, I don't need to do step one, two and three. I, I'm there. I just need you to step forward, that's okay. And then you can you can fly off again, it'd be great. Thanks ever so much. If you could just listen to my step four, we're on a winner. And God bless her, she had the patience of Job and took me straight back. And I'm so grateful that she did uh, because um, without her, I wouldn't be sitting here today feeling and being so grateful for everything. So, so yes, yeah, step one. So historically, I came from quite a, a violent, chaotic alcoholic uh, home. Both my parents were functioning alcoholics. Um, my mum was quite cold and feeling, very prim and proper, never carried an extra pound. You know, to the outside world, she was absolutely wonderful. Uh, very social, my parents were both social butterflies. 
Uh, but my dad was quite domineering, quite loud, quite forceful. Um, and I'll be honest with you, feelings were not at all welcome in our home. We were not able to show or um, express any feelings or wants or desires. They were literally not acceptable in our home. We soon learned that. So what did I do? Well, I ate instead. I started stealing food from the pantry um, at quite an, an early age, probably about five or six, as far as I can remember. And um, my sister and I have lost both my parents now, who are on the wall behind, which I will just show you. Despite them being alcoholic parents, I love them and still love them. And um, they're watching over, I'm sure, today. I don't know what they'd say about my story, but this is what it is. Um, my sister and I, we lost our parents, um, both of my final parents, we lost last year. And um, we were able to talk quite openly about our childhood. And some of the stuff we'd kind of forgotten or shelved, I suppose. Um, and my sister was able to remind me of the times that I used to grab her, hide her behind that sofa. We became as small as we could. We became as quiet as we could. Um, apparently, I used to cover her years with my hands and sing her songs or take some colouring behind just to try and escape some of the worst of the behaviour my parents, unfortunately, uh, let loose amongst themselves so it was really tricky um, but in secret I ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and it soothed my fear it was a life of fear we couldn't have friends around you know I would go to everybody's house and I would look and see what well, how they interacted with their families how their parents treated their children and I'd look just in awe thinking well this is not my family my mum house doesn't do this so it was, it was a real uh, learning curve to spend time with other families and other parents. Um, but again, we could never have anybody at home. We didn't know what we were coming home to. It could have been uh, fine. Everything could have been fantastic. Everything could have been calm. Or it could have been absolute bedlam. Um, we just couldn't take that risk. At 18, I left home uh, and I left my sister alone in that house, in our family. And I have huge guilt against that. I'll be honest, even now I hold some guilt that I left her for another two years to fend for herself in that house. And what I did, I sought relationships uh, which replicated that home. So I chose partners who were quite violent, quite aggressive, quite loud, critical. Um, they, a lot of them were alcoholic as well. And, and still, you know, that life of fear. And I suppose when you think about it, you know, we, we replicate what we know, what we think we can manage, because I've developed this hypervigilance um, in, in the family and I, I developed that in, in every relationship too. So I could fend off disaster where I was. And it was literally like spinning plates um, in, in every sort of relationship. I continued to eat and eat and eat, and obviously finally away from the gaze of my mum being quite critical and cold and you know quite judgmental on what I ate. Um, I literally Ballooned. I had two beautiful daughters um, and later on when I was married we adopted a son with autism, ADHD and certain mental health challenges and at my biggest I was on 21 stone 3 so I literally carried uh, a person who weighed uh, 10 and a half stone. I was asthmatic at that point uh, because I was carrying so much weight I would imagine and it was untreatable due to the size really that I was carrying around you know I, 
of course my lungs couldn't manage. How could I ask one pair of lungs to do the job of two people? It's impossible. And it just got worse and worse. My heart was enlarged, my kidneys were failing, and I retained fluid in my legs and feet. And very often that got infected to cellulitis. My feet were so round that I used to have to rock everywhere. I couldn't walk like a normal person. My liver was also enlarged and I crushed three discs in my spine. I herniated all three of them. Um, and unfortunately, I, I also crushed my left hip to smithereens and needed a, a hip replacement. I could barely, barely walk to be fair. And the other stuff, of course, the, the rub that you get that I got between my legs when I walked, it blistered, it bled. Um, I got infections and rashes and all the creases that I had. Um, and it wasn't easy to keep clean um, and smell fresh at all times, I'll be honest with you. But that didn't stop me. Absolutely not. I continued to eat and eat and eat. I ate in secret. I hid food from my family. I bought lots of my alcoholic foods and kind of put them in the cupboards, but put loads of other things in front of them so they couldn't see them. So they didn't, couldn't get a hold of them. But they were there, you know, for everybody. But of course, they weren't visible. So nobody took anything but me. Um, I used to go from takeaway to takeaway, had a various round that I could use. Um, so nobody realized that I was eating as much as I was. Um, you know, and, and this is what my typical um, day looked like. I had breakfast, I had 11 zips, then I'd have lunch, then I'd have a mid afternoon snack, and then I'd have my supper at night, my dinner. And then we'd have an evening snack, and then a bedtime snack. And in between, I'd eat between as well. So I peaked at all these times, but ate as well. I was an astronomic, uh, Olympic kind of eater. I really could eat all the time. I ate from the bin, the floor, the freezer, anything really, anything that was even severely out of date, I would eat if I wanted it. To hell with the consequences. And you can imagine the aftermath of that was not very pretty. Um, and then, um, I, unfortunately, my husband and I separated with love and respect, and um, and I met a new partner who is now my husband. And it was and it was on a, a weekend we were away, and um, we 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 were in the, the uh, fun fair, and we went to the particular store with all my alcoholic foods in, and um, I said to him, you know, shall we get a few bits? He said, yeah, good idea. So I've got an, a big backpack, and I filled it. I'm not kidding you, I filled it to the top. I could just zip it up. And I said to him, are you taking anything? He says, no, I'm all right, thanks. No, I think we've got enough. So anyway, we went back to our hotel and I literally dived in. And during the middle of all this, he said to me, do you think I could have some of those? I said, what? You can't have any of these. These are mine. I bought them for me. I asked you when we were there, do you want any? Your answer was no. And he laughed and I said, it's not funny. I said to you, no, these are mine. And I felt a bit, bit, you know, a bit bad about it. And I said, okay, well, on this one occasion, you can have some, but we need to get this right straight away. Okay, when I buy stuff, they belong to me, it's mine. I don't share, I really don't share. But on this occasion, you can have a few, but next time you need to really take this on board. And he obviously, <laughs> that was deadly serious and that I had a problem. And he was in uh, another 12-step program, sober for 34 years, and um, he thought there might be something like that for me. And I was really taken aback when he 
suggested that maybe there was somewhere like a 12-step program for me and did some research for me and bought me some of the books. And, and I thought, well, that's really nice, but I don't have a problem. My life is fine, thank you very much. I have no problem. But um, obviously he could see that there was a, a big problem there. So I came into the rooms and I'll be honest with you, I thought you were all nuts. Okay, I didn't belong here. I was fine, thank you very much. I didn't need, all I needed to do was just lose a few pounds. That was it. Um, but in reality, of course, I absolutely belonged in the rooms and I couldn't see it at that time at all. So really, when I came in, my life was unmanageable. You know, I was very emotional. I would um, eat at any opportunity, not just at meal times, not just in between. But if anything went wrong, I would eat. I literally, it literally was my medication to get me through the day. And I was getting more lonely and lonely and isolating more and more because I really couldn't get out. So, yeah, I definitely qualified in this room. So step two, um, okay, I'd always believed in God, always believed in God. I always had God in my life. Um, but actually linking God with food was a challenge for me. I couldn't see how, how my higher power could possibly help me with my food. How on earth? How's that going to do? And also admitting that I, you know, my life had become insane and manageable. And that was really hard as well for me to do that. So I started off very simply saying thank you. You know, I, I accept my prayers, but it didn't really mean much. But I started saying thank you when I shopped for food, uh, when I prepared food, before I ate it and after my meals. And just simple thank yous. And and that grew, my prayers then grew from the traditional ones that I'd learned at school and later on in my life when I started adding bits and changing bits and, and I made it more personal. Um, and I started then to really realise that, that God was every part of my life, particularly with my disease. Um, he was the only one that could actually cure, you know, restore me to sanity, whatever that looked like, because at that point I really didn't know. As a child, I was the only one in my family to ever go to church. I found an awful lot of love, um, a, a lot of understanding, a lot of patience that I didn't find in my family home. So, um, you know, the family home was full of atheists, so which is fine, but, but it, it wasn't me. So I spent a lot of time at the church. And I always used to use God a bit like a, when I prayed, a bit like a genie in a lamp. So I'd kind of rub it and, and ask what I wanted. I want this to happen because I need to have that and I want to have that. You know, and I spent years doing that. And of course, it never came to fruition, which it wouldn't because it wasn't the right way to, to interact with my higher power. Um, at 14, I had what I can only describe as a, a spiritual experience. I was in the choir, very bad singer, I have to say, but they, they let me join. Um, and I experienced out of nowhere in the middle of the church service this amazing heat, heat, light, and a love that I, I I can't even describe. It almost stopped me breathing. I was looking around at my fellow choristers and, and thinking they're not feeling what I'm feeling. They're not seeing what I'm, you know, they're just happily carrying on and I barely literally get a breath. But it was huge relief. Well, I was scared. I did have an idea that this might actually be God um, coming into my life. I knew it was special. Well, now I truly, truly believe that it was my higher power protecting me, soothing me, reassuring me that, that, that there were better things ahead. 
15 minutes, Michelle. Thank you, darling. Um, having had such a profound um, higher power experience, I, I didn't need proof that, that God was there and was able to take care of everything I needed. I just needed to rely on him to look after me with my food and my disease as well. Um, so step three, yeah, starting step three was quite scary. I'm not going to lie. What would my life look at? What would it look like if I handed it, my whole life over to God? You know, would I still be able to choose things in my life? Um, you know, I'd always run the show through manipulation, coercion, uh, persuasion, leadership, whatever. Um, and I really did uh, wonder what, I, what it would look like. Would anybody recognize me if I did run my own life? But first I had to trust. I had to trust that my power, higher power has my best interests at heart, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like it, you know. But now today I ask, you know, what do you need me to do today? Why am I here today? Show me what you want from me today. You'll have to show me because I don't know. Um, and to navigate the day, one day at a time, you know, I ask my higher power to help me to be patient, to help me be understanding, kind, loving, tolerant, accepting, and to be present for others. Um, and if I use these attributes during my day, I can cause no harm to anybody else, and I can live well in a considerate, gentle way. But I'm not very good at handing my will over. I try and take it back constantly throughout the day. So I need to remind myself, hey, Michelle, you don't have to run the show anymore. You know, you have a higher power to do that. Just let him do it. Um, and the way I tend to do that is I tend to use my pause button a lot more than I ever did before I react and just pause, ask for help, ask for direction. Um, and the answer always comes, always, always comes. And it stops me reacting a bit like a viper with unkind words. You know, if I use that pause button, I don't get myself into trouble. I don't tend to cause other people harm or distress. Step four, it's a really quick one, this. I'm so sorry, guys. It's a quick uh, jump through the steps here, how I did it, but I dreaded step four. I'd heard horror stories about step four. And my sponsor eventually just said to me, Michelle, stop procrastinating, just get on with it. So I got my pen and paper and I spent days and I just wrote down everything I could. I went to it, I came back. I went to it, I came back. And what I found was absolutely illuminating is that all my reactions in the past were all based on fear. The fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, fear of confrontation. And it was a huge relief that I finally had answers to my defects of character, which were control, manipulation, persuasion, avoidance of conflict or unpleasant situations. They were all fear-based. Um, thank you. So step five, I was afraid of my sponsor would be ashamed of my past, my actions and feel disgust. But she reassured me that whatever step four brought up, she'd had the same in her step four, um, and even worse, so nothing would shock her. And I was so grateful to her because, you know, a lot of stuff that came up in my step four was quite shameful. I felt ashamed of my past and my reactions to certain situations, but she reassured me she was just there to listen. As soon as I told her my deepest, darkest secrets, I felt relief. I felt relief that that part of my life was over. I could draw a line of the past and, and choose a different way to go forward. Step six, well, was I ready to have my defects of character removed? I'd have to be, wouldn't I? 
but who would I be? Would people still like me? You know, would they recognize me? Would I become boring? <laughs> but then I learned that my defect of selfishness would probably be used to keep me in the program, keep me well, that my stubbornness, and I am as stubborn as a thousand mules tied together I'm always told this and I'm the first to admit it but it has kept me in LA it's kept me abstinence that stubbornness has kept me here in the rooms two years when I couldn't even get half a day abstinence before I came into OA here I am so I trusted and I leapt into step seven and that was a hugely emotional experience you know the step seven prayer is just so beautiful it's just simply asking your higher power to help you get rid of those character defects that, that, that are, they're not helping us in any shape or form in any part of our life. And it's something I say several times a day because I need to remember, you know, I am full of imperfections and that's the way it is. Step one was quite easy to make a list. It sounds really easy. Let's make a list. I'm really good at lists. I can do thousands of lists. I run my life on lists. Okay. But the realisation as I made that list is that I have to make amends to everybody that I wanted to hide from, all those people that I'd harmed, those that resented me or I had a resentment against them. And my sponsor and I worked quite closely on how to make amends to those that had gone, you know, who died, like my parents. Um, and those I couldn't contact anymore because they weren't in my life anymore. And my family and friends. So step nine, I started with myself. I said, so, I said sorry to myself for abusing my, my body, pushing it to the absolute limit. And I remember crying in the mirror as I asked God to forgive me for not respecting the gift that I was given to live in. You know, my body is a gift and I absolutely flogged it to death. I asked for forgiveness for, for not respecting that. And I pledged to do all I could to repair the damage that I'd done by abstinence, by feeding it well to heal, to respect it and be grateful for what I've got. Uh, and I still I still have to remember that today. I'm eating well. I've got a fridge full of healthy foods because I need to repair the damage I've done the best I can. You know, it took me 54 years to get in the rooms, okay? 54 years. So it may take me another 54 years to undo the damage I've done, but I'll give it a damn good go. Um, because, you know, I have to, I really have to do this. So those that are still living, I sent letters, videos, I spoke face to face and apologised for my actions. And what I didn't expect, I expected a lot of um, resistance. I expected a lot of, um, you know, opinions that, you know, why, why are you bringing this up now? Why are you talking about this now? Oh, you know, whatever you say, it's not going to make any difference. You acted this way. But actually, what came was this wave of love. Oh, my goodness. I would never have believed that total understanding and stuff that had haunted me for decades were barely noticed or remembered by those that I made amends to. And I thought that was bizarre, but I was grateful. And I felt there was a new relationship with my family and friends because I was able to be so honest with them about what had happened, about the way I felt, the way I reacted and made a huge heartfelt apology for that. And, you know, made a promise to my higher power that I wouldn't ever react in that way again. Please help me with everything you've got. So it, it freed them to be as vulnerable and honest with me about their um, problems, you know, going forward. Not the same time, because amends are not meant to be this sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not meant to be like that. It's just meant to be, as I said, 
sorry for my part in this. Um, and it has, it's opened up a huge new line of communication for us. Step 10, well, I can't afford to carry resentments, harms, fears anymore. They weigh me right down. They disturb my serenity. And thank God for my step 10. Some days I can do five or six. Other days I don't get any at all. And that's okay. That's how life goes, isn't it? Um, but they're very, very important. They're essential to my recovery. And they keep me sane, grounded and abstinent. Because before I couldn't see any part of my, you know, my side in things. But with the step 10, my goodness, so much is illuminated. And so many of my... Um, defects of character are still there they're never going to leave me in the way that I want but you know obviously in higher powers time and in higher powers agenda step 11 oh my goodness my absolute favorite step I pray in the morning I pray in the evening several times throughout the day and I give gratitude throughout the day I've never been so grateful for stuff in my life and I used to miss the birds singing. I used to miss the colour of the sky. I used to miss the smells of the flowers or, you know, I used to miss all that because I was so consumed with me, my life, how bad it is, poor me, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just, it changes everything up. And um, I just quietly say, just quietly, thank you. Just throughout the day, as things crop up, really. Uh, and I'm now open to feeling, to say, to seeing, to hearing and sensing stuff that I used to miss. Um, I do meditate daily, but I'm absolutely pants of it. I'll be absolutely honest. I, I am a trier. There's five minutes try. left. Thank you, thank you, Roy. I do, I do try really hard to um, to to um, meditate, but I'm really not very good at it. But you know, good is good enough. And the only wrong way to meditate is not to do it at all. So, you know, I do a daily meeting every morning. Um, it helps me to practice my step one, two, and three every day. I am a compulsive overeater, always, always will be, always have been. I am absolutely powerless, but God can, I can't. I'm going to let God do it without my help. And uh, that just puts me in the right frame of mind to, to face every day. And I take daily medication for my disease of compulsive overeating. I try and live the, through the steps the best way I can. I go to as many meetings that I could fit in as long as, you know, the bridge to normal living. But I am a wife. I am a, a, a nana. I'm a mum. And I need to remember all of those roles as well as my uh, my recovery. I connect with others. I try and give service where I can. And this is why I'm grateful I'm able to spend some time with you all today. And prayer every day throughout the day, meditation every day. But as I said, I'm not very good at it. Um, I ask God to, to help me shine, to glow the covers so others can see and feel it. And I ask God to help me what others need to show them where to find the solution. And all the way, the only way I can do that is service through others. It takes me out of myself. First and foremost, I am a sponsee to somebody else. I will always be a sponsee. I'm always going to need my sponsor. God bless that woman. She's got the patience of Job. Um, and I'm, I am a sponsor, so I do have sponsees myself. So as she holds my hand, I hold others, and they hold others. And that invisible chain is just absolutely amazing. Um, I go to meetings uh, to hear, to listen, to share when it's appropriate, and I outreach every day. I journal everything. I have journals for everything. When I first started journaling, I used to have to ask my sponsor, what shall I write? Anything. And now I've got journals. 
coming out of my years. I write everything, my feelings down, my action plan. Um, I read my daily readers every day and write a little line or two about those and how I can apply those readings to me today. I have alcoholic foods I don't, I can't eat ever. Simple as that. I have alcoholic food behaviours that um, that I that are in built in me. So now I can only eat three times a day. I can't eat in between. I can't afford to. Um, I keep it very simple. I don't weigh a measure. I'm not very good at weighing a measure. To me, it feels too dietary. But I, you know, my sponsor, thank goodness, God love her. She is my human moderator for my food, and obviously, um, my higher power is. Um, it is my moderator for my food as well. I keep it very simple. Um, I do have also have an emergency action plan if the food calls or I wobble. And that seems to um, that seems to be quite rare these days for that. I'm very grateful for that. But, uh, you know, I work my program hard because I have to, because in a heartbeat, I would, I would go back to compulsive overeating if I didn't work my program hard. It is I'm that far away every single part of the day, every single day. And that's not because I don't put the work in. I feel I do. However, I'm a compulsive overeater. That's it. It's never going to go away. So um, thank you so much for letting me share. I hope I haven't upstaged my welcome or rambled too much. And I'm so grateful to be with you today. God bless you all. Thank you.